You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Galatians 5, verse 19. Uh, this is uh, the grace divide that separates the flow from the flesh, from the flow of fruitfulness. And I want to just jump right into the text this morning. So we got a lot to cover. Galatians 5, 19, these are the words of God. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit... It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire, desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to ask Kent Edwards to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Thank you, buddy. I just want you all to know it's a privilege to be here with you and appreciate this opportunity. There's a bunch of wonderful folks here. And my wife and I love being with you. Now, I got to tell you one thing I'm in healthcare. And so I often tell my patients the most important thing I will ever tell you is know where you're going when you leave here because no one gets out of here alive. And so this morning, if you're here and you don't know where you're going when you leave this earth, talk to one of us because we'd all like to show you the way. Jesus is the only answer. Amen. The world will lie to you. The world will tell you you're having too much fun. Don't give it up. Don't change what you're doing. Just go to church and it'll be okay. And I know that because that was me. I know that because I sat back there for years. But about 30 years ago, the world brought me to my knees and Jesus saved me from that. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, my prayer is for you. Please bow your head with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible privilege to be here to serve with this congregation. Thank you for Pastor Went. Thank you for Hunter. Thank you for the, 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 the other musicians and everyone that puts effort into this service. May it all go to your glory, Father. Mm-hmm. Thank you again, Father, for this, uh, this gift. We thank you for the life you've blessed us with. We thank you for the incredible privilege of serving Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ken. We can have invitation after that, can't we? Let's go straight to dinner. Well, picking up where we left off last week, we've seen the side of the flesh, and now we're going to look at the side of the spirit. We've been looking at it for the last couple weeks. Um, spiritual fruit on earth is like a heavenly polygraph, right? For a, It shows us our true relationship with Jesus, and so we're seeking to identify these fruits this fruit actually and apply them to our lives right like little nodes you hook up to yourself when you take a polygraph 
that, that are, it's like nine little nodes, nine little fruits of the Spirit in three categories. We looked at love, joy, peace already. Those are internal habits of the heart reflecting our attitude toward God. Then last week we looked at patience, kindness, goodness. Those are the external habits that reflect our attitude toward others. And then today we're looking at faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are eternal habits that reflect our attitude toward ourselves. And they also reveal a hope in ourselves of a, of a completion of the Spirit's work in our, in our hearts. Not that we've already been made perfect, but we're getting there, right? Three categories. Our attitudes toward God, man, and ourselves. And we've seen the first two groups, the internal, the external, and so today we're looking at the eternal. Attitudes towards ourselves. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I really see all of these last three as marks of Christian maturity and spiritual completion. Again, not like complete like you can give up, but completion in the sense that they lead us to a confidence of our own salvation, right? When we exhibit faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, the, the self-oriented fruits, they reveal to us the sureness of our faith. And so we lead out today with faithfulness. I love this word, faithfulness. Y'all may have heard of the woman who was uh, sitting by her, the bedside of her husband who was in a coma for many days. And as he came to from that coma, he, uh, he saw her faithfully by his side sitting across the room and tears began to well up in his eyes. And he asked her to come over there and, and, and lean over the bed. So she came over to him and he said, you know, you've been with me through all these years. You've, you were with me when I got fired. You supported me when my business failed. When we lost our home, you were still by my side. When I got shot, you were by my side. And now with my health failing, you're still, I, I wake up and there you are so faithfully by my side. Tears were in his eyes. She started to cry too. He said, you know what I think? She said, no, honey. What is it? What do you think? He leaned into her and he said, I think you're bad luck. <laughs> Just seeing if y'all are awake this morning. I was just, y'all, I was reeling y'all in on that. Y'all, woo, phew. All right. Hey, listen, I may joke about it, but if you know me, you know this is the attribute uh, in all the world and in all of Scripture that I love, that I personally value the most is faithfulness, right? It's my absolute favorite character trait of God. And so, how do we describe this word, faithfulness? Right? Because to describe it, you almost have to die and be in heaven to really appreciate faithfulness. You know, someone who crosses the finish line to the end. It's like the peak of a mountaintop, like the finishing touches on a painting, like the last piece of a puzzle or a, you know, a sweet victory over, in overtime. That's this word, and it, it's a word that's almost too great for me to explain, so I'm going to need to de describe it with four definitions. And actually, the Greek word for faithfulness has four different meanings in Scripture, and they all kind of complement into one, one piece, right? And the first of these is content. The Greek word translated faith or faithfulness is sometimes used as the basic content of the gospel message. If you were here a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, uh, our mission team reported about our work uh, from in India. We had an incredible two weeks, and, and our team had an incredible week there. We saw many people come to faith, many Bible studies started, new churches forming in unreached areas. It was incredible. And Tony uh, Castro shared about uh, a little cross presentation of a chronological approach to the gospel. And it's a, a little five-minute presentation on how to share 
kind of in a summary, the gospel. And that message, that good news, is sometimes referred to as the faith, right? Paul uses this, he uses the word faith, or it's the Greek word pistis, but he uses the same root word in Galatians 1.23. Uh, he, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. So it's this thing, it's this body, this content. And twice in Galatians 3.23, now before faith came, uh, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. It's the same root word as Galatians 5.22. Faith is the basic content of the gospel message. That's the first meaning. The second meaning of faithfulness, which is a little more common, is the word commitment. And this refers to one's acceptance, obviously, of the gospel, one's commitment, the commitment of ourselves to Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Lord of our lives. Colossians 1.3 says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, since we heard of your commitment. And what's cool about this word, it's, it's used in the singular, but it's also used collectively. Right of all the times that God has revealed his will to people, which includes the, the full revelation of Scripture, which is his greatest revelation, by the way. Jude 1 verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our, co our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Fight for it. Fight for it. It's a commitment. It's just like a marriage. It's just like a relationship or a friendship. You have to fight for it. And faith is the same way. John Wesley once said, give me a hundred men who love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I'll shake the world for Christ. Real commitment, real faith. It doesn't take many. <laughs> it just takes one, someone, a lot of someones who will decide to be faithful. In December 1944, you remember the German army launched an unexpected attack uh, that came to be known as the Battle of the Bulge, and Nazis had driven deep behind Allied lines, and writing in World War II about the reaction of the American troops to this attack, James Jones said, no one of these little road junction stands could have had a profound effect on the German drive. But hundreds of them, impromptu little battles at nameless bridges and unknown crossroads, had an effect of slowing enormously the German impetus. These little die-hard one-man stands, alone in the snow and fog without communications, would prove enormously effective out of all proportion to their size. What a beautiful example of the local church. You've got all these individual commitments for Christ, all these individual testimonies, just like Kent gave, right? Every one of us that has a salvation experience has a testimony of brokenness, pain, repentance, joy, and faith. And you put all those together, this, these Christian contenders, so to speak, and you've got what we call a church. And we too can prove to be enormously effective out of all proportion to our size. Amen? May Piperton be that. May Piperton be a place that's powerful. So there's the content. Then there's the understanding and commitment to it or to him. And then third, the third meaning of faith or faithfulness that we'll mention is constant. Constant. Here it's the quality of being true, trustworthy, and reliable in all our dealings with others. 
And like all the fruits uh, of the Spirit, all the fruit of the Spirit, we learn them from the example of God. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Who would have known that the, one of the most encouraging verses in all of the Scripture is in a book named after Lament? Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So similar to other fruits of the Spirit, the constancy, the consistency of Christ Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, keeps us from being consumed. <laughs> faithfulness isn't fooled by temporary success, by spiritual recognition, or by some majority approval. That's not where faithfulness lies. Faithfulness is faithful regardless of reward, faithful in trials, faithful in all things. Colonel George Washington Gothels, the man responsible for the completion of the Panama Canal, had all sorts of problems with the climate, with the work environment, the geography of the situation, and so the project was super delayed. And but his his biggest challenge wasn't wasn't the weather, it wasn't the people, it wasn't the the geography or the climate. It was it was the criticism, the the relentless cri criticism from back home of people who thought he would never finish the job. And so finally, a colleague asked him, "When are you going to answer those critics and explain to them all these details of why it's delayed?" Tell them about the climate. Tell them about the, all these things. Why aren't you speaking up about that? He said, I will in time. He said, well, when? He said, when the canal is finished. To what and to whom are you constant? Like you don't need motivation. There doesn't have to be any motivation. There doesn't have to be any reward. You know this is right. You know it is true. And so you are faithful to it. What relationships? What actions in your life are you faithful to? Are you constant? God's word is constant. The constancy of Christ and the Holy Spirit through his word is where we find the power to be consistent and faithful in our own lives. Right? You know the old saying, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. And his track record is flawless and faithful. Amen? Faith is content. Content. Faith is Commitment. Faith is constant. And finally, faith is completion. The Greek word in secular history referred to a guarantee. One scholar said the root of this word faith or pytho, meaning to persuade or to be persuaded as in divine persuasion, is like God's warranty that guarantees the fulfillment of the revelation he bursts within the receptive believer. 1 John 5, verse 4, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. I thought they'd say Jesus on the cross right there, but it's one and the same. Our faith is in Jesus on the cross, and our faith is our victory. Philippians 1, verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I love the words of that old hymn, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I committed, but he keeps it. Amen. <laughs> 
In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus says, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, and you may be tested, and for 10 days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, the 10 days probably just refers to the, the brevity of the, of the tribulation, but it still could end in martyrdom. And then comes the crown of life, eternal life. That's the completion of our victory as followers of Jesus. We have a crown of life that we're going to lay down. We're going to give them back. <laughs> we're not keeping that one. Right? Church, let me just ask you. Do you understand that faith in Christ is surrendering ourselves to be faithful unto death? I feel like I need to say that these days. Because it's hard to get some of us to be faithful for three hours a week. We'll spend three hours a day on our phones. If you don't believe me, just swipe right on your phone. Check your screen time. It's probably more like four or five hours. So we're faithful to those things. But I mean, we've got a local church here, 930 small groups, 1030 worship. Of course, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir on the 1030 one. Wednesday night, prayer meeting, one hour. And, I, and I'm not trying to browbeat you, but I am trying to say, I don't know what your excuses are, but I know everyone prioritizes what they want. And the, the end days are approaching, if you haven't felt it. And so these words mean a lot. This word means more than it ever has to me. Four words define faithfulness. Content, commitment, co constancy, and completion. What a filter to sift our hearts and our lives and our families through. Sift it through those words. Well, faithfulness next is gentleness. Gentleness is the Greek word praetis, meaning gentle strength, expressing power with reserve, and gentleness as in a gentle force. And so a gentle person is first someone who is humbly strong, I, th I really think that this word gets a bad rap uh, in English, you know, for being like a wimpy, weak, unassertive, and, and maybe even an excuse for spiritual laziness, right? Oh, he's just, he's just a, that's just how he is gentle. We don't see it as a strength, but it's actually a submissive and teachable spirit toward God, which manifests itself in genuine humility and consideration of others. That's not weak. Matter of fact, all of the fruit of the Spirit are strengths, including gentleness. It's power harnessed in loving service and respectful actions to others. That's why one, someone said, one who is gentle in this sense will not attempt to push others around or arrogantly impose one's own will or on subordinates or peers. But gentleness is also not incompatible with decisive action and firm convictions. It was, after all, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who expelled the mercenaries from the temple with a scourge because of their obstinate defilement of his father's house. My dad is one of the most gentle, kind patient men I know, and I know that because I've tested every bit of it, all right, as a teenager, maybe even still. But I'll never forget one day about this time of year, it was the first weekend of November, it was juvenile hunt, and we'd gone four or five hours east to my grandmother's to hunt, and we'd come home, I think Saturday night late, it was like close to midnight. We pulled into the driveway in our little Datsun red hatchback, and my dad gets out, he sees, you can see the side door of our house kicked open. So he goes up to investigate. There's glass on the ground. He comes back. He says, stay in the car. He goes back, and we had a little metal shed at the time. And in the shed, we kept all our footballs and our uh, baseball gloves and bats and stuff. And I watched in the lights of our car 
My dad grabbed a baseball bat out of that shed. My meek, gentle, I mean, my dad wouldn't even keep a loaded gun in the house, right? He's a gentle man. He's, he's a tender soul. But when he turned to, to storm into that house with that baseball bat, man, I saw a commitment in his face that was like someone's about to pay, right? I mean, he had a fierce strength in his soul. And so gentleness is not weakness. It just doesn't have to boast about what it's prepared to do. You don't, have to, you don't have to brag about what you're prepared to do. Just be prepared to do it. And that includes your faith. I don't have to boast about how good or how bad I am. In Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus said, I am meek. And that's the same word, root word for gentleness. I am meek and lowly in heart. And of course, it says Moses was very meek in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. But I'm pretty sure neither one of those men <laughs> were weak. Right? They just didn't throw their weight around with pride and arrogance. Gentleness knows where its power comes from and has nothing to prove. And I don't mean that gentleness says things like, I ain't got nothing to prove. Gentleness would never say that. It doesn't have to. It's strong submission to Christ. It's not a lack of resistance to man. It's an abundant submission to God. If wisdom is the right use of knowledge, then gentleness is the right use of authority and power. That's gentle. It knows the power's there, but is patiently submissive in every offense, having no desire of retribution. Hey, church, listen, we need more gentle strength, more gently strong men and women in the church, humble yet evident power. I believe we've got some here. Psalm 18, verse 35, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. Who would have ever thought gentleness was an attribute of a great person in the kingdom of God? Which leads to the second truth. A gentle person is also intelligently teachable. Same word for gentleness is used in James 1.21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, same word, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only. So receive with meekness or gentleness the word of God. Last week we read Matthew 11.29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Well, I'm smart enough to want rest, which means I hope I'm intelligent enough to learn from God and the circumstances he's allowed me to be in by my own doing or by the sinful world, good or bad. When we're teachable, we learn, and when we learn, we grow wiser, we grow more skilled, we grow more useful in the kingdom of God. It's really smart to be teachable. Gentleness is humbly strong, intelligently teachable, and third, it's biblically disposed. And what I mean here is that gentleness is a vital tool and a pattern in at least three different types of spiritual or biblical conversation. When you think about biblical conversations with other people, 
whether they're arguments at the water cooler at work or whatever, or, you know, arguments during halftime at a football game and on Thanksgiving Day, whatever those biblical conversations are, these are the three that kind of cover them. First is confrontation and restoration. And not to steal my thunder from Galatians 6 verse 1, but it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So gentleness is used for confrontation and restoration of believers, right? Secondly, for correction and repentance. And I believe this one's more toward unbelievers, unbelieving opponents. Second Timothy 2.24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do their will. So confrontation and restoration. Correction and repentance. And third, confessing and reputation. Gentleness is found hand in hand with the boldness that it takes to proclaim the truth of God. It takes a little bit of boldness, right? Uh, Kent wasn't lacking in it this morning, praise God. But it takes some boldness to proclaim God. It takes some boldness to knock on someone's door and share Christ with them. But that boldness is also represented here. 1 Peter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness. And respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may put, may be put to shame. By the way, it says when you're slandered, not if. I promise you, if you dare act righteous, you're, you may not have in any way a spirit of pride and self-righteousness. But if you do the right thing at work or do the right thing in your family, you will be slandered. You hear me again on this. When you make biblical choices in a fallen world, you will be slandered. They will call you a goody two-shoes. They will make you look bad, even if your spirit was humble. Hey, I just thought this was the right thing. Oh, yeah, aren't you all Mr. Holy Pants? Right? Y'all know this, don't you? Some of you have felt that. That's okay. It's okay. Gentleness is a key ingredient in every biblical conversation we have with believers or unbelievers. Right? Before a person hears what we know, they need to know how much we care in sincerity and in delivery. Remember that this week. <laughs> Don't confront, correct, or confess Christ without gentleness. Gentle people are giants in the kingdom of God, and the Bible says so. Psalm 37, verse 11, but the meek, same word, shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Humbly strong, intelligently teachable, and biblically disposed. That's gentleness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and finally, self-control. For you note takers, faithfulness had four points. <laughs> gentleness has three. Self-control has only got two, right? We started uh, this list, this fruit list with love, and now we're ending it with self-control because they're like bookends to everything in between. And self-control is really like a summary of all the preceding fruit. 
Uh, it's the mastery over one's desires and passions, which is a perfect word for Paul to use with the Galatians who were these no-law antinomians. Remember, they thought they were the opposite end of the law. They're like, there's no law at all. Live, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. All right? So he's like, I need to reel them back in, give them a little encouragement to reinforce God's good works, right? And the first and most scriptural, ob scripturally obvious application of self-control in the Bible is from sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 8, and there's many verses like this. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. This is Paul speaking. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And that's just another reason, by the way, that I am for early marriage. Don't you parents hate me for this, right? If your kids are biblical, are, are, are biblically grounded and mature, and shame on some of you moms and dads and grandparents whose sole reason for delaying marriage is financially based or school-based. Well, I want you to get your degree done first. I know there's some in this room who say that. I may have heard some of you say that. That is wrong. That's not a motivation. Biblical immaturity is a motivation. Unequally yoked is a motivation, but finances aren't a motivation. Besides, I, can, I wouldn't trade the first few years of Vicky and I's marriage, heck, the first 15 probably. We were digging change out of the couch just to go to Blockbuster and rent a video. All right, that was highfalutin weekend. If you don't get to build anything together as a family, I really, I really do have a genuine concern. I'm not dissing on people who start out strong financially and are able to buy nice homes. I'm not against that. Praise God that God's blessed you, right? But it does concern me that where do you go from there? Well, that's my rant for the day. That doesn't negate the next, uh, the need to resist sexual temptation with, with a fruit of the Spirit. But self-control applies to more than sexual temptation, all right? And this is the second point here, and that's that it's actually self-control in all things. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown, right? So I, I do not run aimlessly. I don't box as one beat in the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. One of the ways Paul explains the usefulness of self-control is by what a life looks like without it. All right? Without self-control, you're just a runner running side to side, serpentine, serpentine. Right? You're, you don't have any direction. You're like a boxer who's just punching the air, wasting their punches, wasting their energy. And it's not good. Then he basically switches gears and describes a self-controlled life. I discipline my body and bring it, keep it under control. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I gotta wrap up. All the fruit of the Spirit, they really belong together. And I've been saying fruits uh, in, the, in the plural, but the word in the Greek in Galatians 5.22 is actually in the singular. It says fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is actually one whole spiritual life rooted in the one Spirit of God. Galatians 5.22 is a catalog of fruit. It's not a list of rules, which is why Paul ends verse 23 with such a deliberate understatement, and I think it's a little sarcastic too. 
He says, against such things there is no law. Y'all want to keep the law? Okay. Well, there's no law against these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, <laughs> kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the reason there's no law against them is because they're wonderfully lawful. Right? The Spirit sets us free from the law to produce a righteousness that's better than the law demanded. The content of the law hasn't fundamentally changed, but the means by which we keep it is dramatically different. In Galatians 5, Paul used four distinct verbs to designate the spirit-controlled life of the believer. Right? And they're all roughly the, have the same meaning. In verse 16, he says, walk in the Spirit. In verse 18, he says, be led by the Spirit. In verse 25a, the first part of the verse, says to live by the Spirit. And in the end of 25, verse 25, he says to keep in step with the Spirit. Each of these verbs suggests a relationship of dynamic interaction, direction, and purpose. So my question to you this morning is, can you describe your relationship with Christ as dynamic? Right? I mean, what romantic couple wouldn't want to describe their marriage as that? Yeah, we have a dynamic marriage. Wouldn't you want that to be your relationship with Christ as well? A dynamic relationship. That's what God desires for us. In Paul's vocabulary, to walk in the Spirit or to be led by the Spirit means to go where the Spirit is going, to listen to His voice, to discern His will, and to follow His guidance. May God help us to do that this Thanksgiving week and beyond. Amen? Would you stand? Father God, we love you and we praise you. And we ask that your name would be glorified by exhibiting fruit in us. And that we wouldn't see uh, all these fruits necessarily as different. Maybe they're, they're not nine different fruits. They're just nine diamonds on one beautiful ring. And I pray, God, these nine diamonds would be worn by us. That we would exhibit love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. God, help us this week. We're going to be around people who push our buttons, grandkids running amok, breaking things in our house, <laughs> conversations over a meal that may turn south or may turn political and argumentative. God, help us. We don't want to, we don't want to shame your name by speaking about good biblical things in ungodly, ungentle, harsh ways. Help us, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would understand the gentle strength that you possess, that you are beckoning them to come home, call out to you, repent of your sins, and call on the name of Jesus for salvation. If you do that, he will save you. He'll forgive you and give you eternal life. And for those here that are just kind of spiritually complacent, they would not describe their relationship with Christ as dynamic, more like a dud, more like flatlined, Maybe they just need to repent of some things to take action in their life and fight for the commitment of their faith and their family. And I pray they would do that, God, and make public their confession of Christ. Pray for others that may want to just join the church this morning to say, we want to be part of this place. We want to serve here. And this is the way we sign up on the dotted line to do it. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. 
For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.piperdenbaptist.com.